This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. At their peak in the mid-90s, there were about two and a half million payphones in the U.S. The adoption of cell phones has brought that number down further and further every year. The fully enclosed outdoor telephone box, you know the one that Superman changes in? That is exceptionally rare. Only four of those are left in New York City. After several decades, these little pieces of single-use architecture just disappeared from the landscape. They simply weren't popular enough to justify their existence. But there's always an exception to the rule. 20 years ago, a man discovered a phone booth in the middle of the desert that became his obsession, an obsession that he then passed on to the world at large. From the great radio program Snap Judgment of Oakland, California, producer Joe Rosenberg tells the story of a very special phone booth in the middle of nowhere. Okay, so this story starts out back in the mid-90s in Phoenix, where Godfrey Daniels... Uh, My given name is Godfrey Daniels, but I go by Doc. He's heading back home after seeing this band, Girl Trouble. And after the concert, someone hands him a copy of their zine. Remember zines? If not, don't worry. They're kind of like a pre-internet miniature magazine. So as I was walking home, I was kind of flipping through it, and uh, on about the third or fourth page, there were a couple of letters to the editor, and one of them mentioned that there was a phone booth in the Mojave Desert, uh, miles and miles from any pavement, just sitting by itself. And this, for Doc, just made no sense. I, I, I wasn't sure that I believed it. Why, uh, why not? Well, I didn't have any reason to believe it. I mean, I don't know if in the, in the age of cell phones, if it's the same, but when you were out in the desert in those days, you were on your own. You couldn't call people. So the idea that there could be this phone booth just sitting out in an uncontactable place. It was kind of like if somebody was on the moon, you know, and you could talk to somebody on the moon. Where did he say it was exactly? And like, what was the nearest recognizable landmark? He didn't say. It was a really short little paragraph. Um, There wasn't any solid information, really, other than the number. And so when Doc got home, he thought, okay, why not give it a shot? And I jabbed in the number, and, and it just rang. And I let it ring for a long time. And I was just imagining making a phone ring out where, presumably, no one could hear it except the coyotes. But then there was also, in the back of your mind, the thought, what if... Like, what if somebody's wandering by? Who would be out there? Who would pick up? It just really grabbed me. And so I hung up, and then I just kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about it all night long. I was thinking about it as I fell asleep, and it just it just somehow got me into its clutches. And so the next morning? I called again. I just kind of became obsessed. Soon, Doc found himself calling the phone all the time. When friends visited his house, he'd twist their arm and make them call it. He even put up a post-it note in the bathroom mirror. It just said, did you remember to call the Mojave Desert today? But it turned out I didn't need it because I used to call many times a day. Like how many times? If I was supposed to be working, I was probably calling at least once an hour. And again, this is all assuming that it actually existed, which I had no proof of. Like on speakerphone? Or like you would stop everything? no, 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 because that would require explanations. I would just, you know, have it have the, the phone kind of cradled against my ear, you know, just listening to it ring. Doc knew it was weird, 
to keep calling a number with no one on the other end. But if he was ever pressed about it, he'd say it was like being a ham radio operator. One little person, sending a signal as far as he could into the ether, wondering if another little person was out there, listening in, waiting to be contacted, in that uncontactable place. So I figured I would be doing this forever. I really didn't think anybody would ever pick up the phone. But then, just one month after he started calling? Just doing my daily call, and uh, I got a busy signal. No way! So Doc actually managed to record that call. I look look like I'm an idiot, because I keep saying, wow. (laughs) No way. And uh, I thought, well, I... I must have misdialed. I had to dial it. So I dialed it again. And it was a busy signal again. <laughs> and I, I realized, okay, either something's gone wrong with the, the phone company here, or somebody is using the Mojave phone booth right now. I was totally hyperactive. My main thing was I didn't want them to get away. Like I was thinking, I need to catch it right when they hang up that phone. So I just redial, redial, and then it rang. And uh, it rang, it rang four or five times, and I thought, ah, oh, crap. And then I heard a voice say, hello. Sadly, Doc was only able to properly record his own words at this now historic moment. But as many times as I had called, I had given remarkably little thought, if any, to what I would say, you know. And I said, uh, Hello, uh, are you in the Mojave Desert? She said, yeah. And I said, You are? Okay, this is going to sound like a strange question. Why are you in the middle of the Mojave Desert? She said, I'm making my calls. Oh, like you live out there and you don't have a phone. I gotta say, when I looked at the transcript, it was kind of funny, because, like, um, you think everything's cool if you're like... So what do you do out there? And she's like, cinder mining? What do you do with cinder? And she's like, cinder blocks. <laughs> <laughs> and, you're like, and you're like, that's so cool! That is so cool! That's just so cool that somebody finally answered. And uh, she said that uh, she never heard the phone ring before. And can, you, can you tell me her name? Yeah, her, name, uh, her name's Laureen. Laureen, it's nice to meet you. If the phone's ever ringing again, pick it up. It'll be me. All right. Nice meeting you. Bye-bye. Was there, was there any sense of disappointment? No. No. Disappointment about what? Not at all. Well, let me put it this way. It's almost kind of like the idea that this phone is ringing out there in the desert and anyone mm-hmm. could pick up. But then finally someone picks up and it's just Lorene. No, no, no. See, I look at it the, the exact opposite way. Somebody did pick up, and, I, and I, had no, I had no right to expect anyone ever would. So this was great to hear, to hear a human voice in place of the ringing, you know? I mean, this was, this, was, this was a payoff. It just encouraged me more. And the instant I hung up, I kicked myself because I had forgotten to ask her what was probably the most important question, which is where was the phone booth? But of course, I had no way, I had no way to get in touch with her except to find the thing. So Doc calls around, does some sleuthing, and a few months later gets his hands on the equivalent of an X marks the spot map showing the supposed location of the Mojave phone booth. 
So I thought, oh, we're all set. So my friend and I took off and traveled all day to the Mojave Desert. And this is in the middle of August, and so it's scorching hot, just scorching hot. Basically, as far as you could see, you saw Joshua trees. And then we saw this little dirt path that was marked, you know, danger, danger, warning, not maintained, blah, blah, blah. That was the road we were supposed to take. So we were, you know, we were just going along and going along. And at first I thought, oh, this is not bad at all. But the further along that we went, the road would narrow. And the thing was that the sun was going down. And in the daytime, you've got these grand, huge vistas. And you kind of have a sense of where you are. But when the darkness drops, it's just whatever you can see right in front of you. And we were ringed by storms. There was lightning almost in every direction. So then I started to think, uh, if we have any kind of a problem... Unless we do find the phone booth, we have no way of, you know, letting people know we're really in trouble. But at a certain point, just barely in the reach of the headlights, I thought I saw a line of telephone poles. And there was a little a little jut to the left and then a little jut to the right. And I brought the van to a stop with the headlights just shining right on the Mojave phone booth. <laughs> it was really, it was really quite a moment. And there's bullet holes in it. There's no glass. It's all busted out. Um... It's kind of a wreck, you know, but to me it was just, it was beautiful. I needed to hear that phone ring. I needed to hear what I had been causing to happen all this time out there. So I called, uh, I called my friend's pager and here I am out in the Mojave surrounded by Joshua trees and lightning and desert. And now there's a familiar It was just, and it was so loud. It was really loud. The bell was just crazy loud. For for me, that was kind of the moment, is hearing that phone ring. It was everything that I had been imagining when I was calling. After that, Doc thought the story was over. He did keep calling the booth. After all, someone else could pick up. But that was just for him. He never really expected anyone else to care. Until he did something which would not have seemed risky back in 1997, but which today is obviously very, very dangerous. He gave the booth a web page. And in those days, the internet, there wasn't that much on it. So I thought that was about as far as it would go. But yeah, that's not what happened. Next thing you know, I'd go to my P.O. box and there would be clippings about the Mojave phone booth from newspapers in languages that I didn't read. It just spread. So I thought, well, this is unexpected. And so when Doc and his friends returned to the booth, about a year after his initial visit, when they got there, this phone, way out in the middle of nowhere, which Lorene had said she'd never heard ring, it was ringing off the hook. You didn't have to call anybody. It was just, as soon as you would hang up the phone, it would start ringing again. It was just crazy. You'd pick it up and, you know, Who's this person going to be? Where are they going to be? And you had no idea. It could be somebody from, you know, Vietnam or Iran or just anywhere. Um, Some people would call and you couldn't talk to them because they didn't speak English. And again, you know, most of the time it wasn't about the content. You know, you're not really saying anything. It's really not the point. It's just, it's just the connection. An old trucker guy called and I think he just wanted to be listened to. He wanted to tell stories about his trucking days. And uh, he didn't ha- seem to have anybody to tell him to. How many calls did you end up taking that day? It would be over 100, guaranteed. 
And, and admittedly, you hear the phone ring, and after a while, it'd be like, you get it, no, you get it. It's your turn, you get it. We eventually had to take it off the hook so we could sleep. And when they put it back on the hook the next morning so they could leave? There wouldn't have been a way to leave in silence. I mean, you, you were, you were going to have to drive. Since it was ringing all the time, you were going to have to drive away from a ringing phone. And people weren't just calling the booth. Mojave Desert phone booth. They were visiting, traveling all the way out to the desert, just for the honor of informing callers that, yes, the phone booth was real. It's more than real. It's reality. This is from a short documentary made about the booth. It's just a montage of people from all over the place, taking calls from all over the place. We're here. Where are you? England? We're from Switzerland. Australia. Right on, bro. You were presenting yourself to the world in a way. Anybody who wanted to could call you. There was no control over who could call that phone. No. No, I don't speak German. You used to work for the circuit? So are you quadriplegic or paraplegic? Quad? Wait a minute. You got fired from the circus because your best friend slept with somebody else. How long were you in a coma? A couple of weeks. Yeah, me too. I was in a coma for two weeks. Yeah. Everybody wants to tell their story and they want they want someone to listen to their story. It's kind of fun. You should come out and do this. We're pretty lonely out here. Did you like the fact that it became popular, or would you have preferred it to remain? No, at first I liked it. The, the hesitation came about just because once something like that gets out of control, then then you know that the equal and opposite reaction is going to come. The only question was when. And then uh, in May of 2000, Lorene's brother, on the way out to the mine, stopped and answered the phone, because it was ringing, of course and talked to uh, some guy in England who was, he said he was sitting there with his fiancee eating, having tea and crumpets. <laughs> and he talked to him for a little while and then continued on to Lorene's. And then uh, in the morning when they were leaving, the booth was gone. In this case, the equal and opposite reaction had come in the form of the National Park Service. It turned out the booth was almost smack dab in the center of a new national preserve. When the phone had laid dormant, it hadn't been a problem. But park officials hadn't taken kindly to all the new foot traffic, or, for that matter, the ringing. By the time Doc figured out what was happening, it was already too late. Did you go out and see this for yourself? No, no. I, I didn't go out until, I think, about, oh, 2009, 2010, long, long after. I mean, once I knew it was gone, there was, I didn't want to go out. Why not? Just be too sad, you know? I mean, had a lot of fun there. <laughs> it, you know, it was funny, too, is that uh, people did keep going out, and they would go and visit the concrete pad <laughs> that the booth had stood on, and a guy made a really nice tombstone for the booth, and everything that anybody brought out there, the Park Service hauled off, and uh, eventually they came out and broke up the concrete pad and took that away, too. So it was like it was never there? Yeah. When I was there, the only thing left was a few pieces of glass from the broken windows. Then people would say, yeah, well, it's not your phone booth. And I would say, yeah, I know, it's not my phone booth, but it's my fault. You know, it wasn't as though I set out to make a phone booth famous, far from it. It's just, had I known, I might not have done it. I mean, I might still, I don't know, but I might not have. Would the booth even hold the same appeal today, given that we can now reach anyone, anywhere. 
No, I, I, I mean that that's something that I that I have thought about is is whether it could have happened even five years later, um, and I just don't think it would have. I mean that that was kind of the magic of being in contact in an uncontactable place, and I don't think that I don't think you have that feeling now. Did you ever try calling the number again after that? Oh, of course. Come on, Joe. <laughs> of course I did. I mean, they let it ring for a long time. I mean, they left just even though the phone was not there. But would that even make sense? Because you're not even making a phone ring anymore in the desert. You're just making a kind of a... Oh, sure. I would know that, but still. It would be like listening to a song that meant something to you. And I, I don't know, just... I guess I did just like calling out to the booth and hearing it ring in the end. The Mojave Phone Booth was produced by Joe Rosenberg for Oakland's own Snap Judgment in 2014. Doc has a book coming out about all this called Adventures with the Mojave Phone Booth. We'll have a link on our website. Today, if you call the Mojave Phone Booth number, that's 760-733-9969. You'll connect to a conference line where you can talk to people from around the world. If no one's on the conference line, it plays a recording of the book Exploding the Phone, which is a really great book. You should listen to it. But for the next week, you might just find someone from 99PI on the conference line. That's 760-733-9969. 99% Invisible is Sam Greenspan, Delaney Hall, Kurt Colstead, Katie Mingle, Avery Truffleman, Sharif Youssef, and me, Roman Mars. We are a production of 99% Invisible Inc., a project of 91.7 KALW San Francisco, and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, the finest architecture and interiors firm in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. Support for 99% Invisible comes from Parachute. Great sleep starts with your sheets. And Parachute has created a line of everyday bedding essentials from sheets to comforters to give you superior sleep. When I was ordering my sheets, I was surfing around and found a video of how to fold a fitted sheet, a task that has had me flummoxed for decades. Well, not anymore. Shop online at parachutehome.com slash 99PI for new sheets, duvets, and other luxury bedding essentials and receive $25 off your first order by using the offer code 99PI. That's parachutehome.com slash 99PI and save by using the offer code 99PI. 99% Invisible is supported in part by Squarespace. Whether the story behind your passion is out of the ordinary or simply out of this world, you should tell it in an unforgettable way. Squarespace helps you do just that with the only websites designed to showcase what makes your passion worth pursuing. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com invisible. You should. Squarespace. And finally, this enterprise and Radiotopia have the great good fortune of being supported by MailChimp. This week on the 99PI MailChimp newsletter, Kurt explores the analog portable map systems that were invented in the 1920s and 30s that predate and presage digital GPS. So imagine a dashboard mounted paper scroll that moves a map based on your odometer reading of your Model T Ford or something. We make the most marvelous things when our reach exceeds our grasp. Subscribe to the 99PI MailChimp newsletter at 99pi.org. But if you ever want to send better email of your own, go to MailChimp.com. 
You can find this show and join the fine community of people who like the show on Facebook. I'll fave every 99PI coin I see on Twitter and Instagram. But if you want to explore the 99% invisible activity that shapes the design of our world, I recommend you spend some time perusing 99pi.org. Radiotopia.